Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. Um, we're, those are our fifth and sixth graders up there. It's the first time in about two years they've been worshiping with us in our service. So thanks, guys. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Okay, so if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest, uh, we are finishing up a series that's been now five weeks, and we've been looking at tracing and following the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, all the way up to the point where they'll go into the promised land. And we've learned so far about the God that they followed, right? The same God that we worship today. He's one God. He is holy, beautiful, and good. He has lovingly created us in his image, and his love endures forever. This is the God that they were learning to follow. This is the God that they were learning to love, and they were very imperfect in this process. And so where we're going to be joining them right now is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And that's the fifth book in on the Bible. You can take a look at it. And the 30th chapter, if you can turn there, I'd like you to see this. And by the way, as always, if you don't have a Bible, we have one available for you on each of those tables as you walk in to the worship center here. And uh, if you don't have one at home, please take that. It's our gift to you. And if you need one, uh, take that and even give it to a friend. We have plenty of them We believe that God's word needs to be in front of us so that we can hide it in our heart, and we want everyone to have a copy of that. And so right now, uh, Moses is right on the outskirts of the promised land, this land known as Canaan. It's on the eastern uh, coast of the Mediterranean Sea, what's present-day Israel, and they were about to go in, uh, go crossing the Jordan into this promised land. And so these chapters, all the way to the end of Deuteronomy, is Moses preparing the people to love the Lord, listen to his voice and follow him, and, and to hold fast to him. They had had a history of disobedience, of chasing other gods, of being faithless and godless in searching for all the other gods in their world rather than the one true God who created them in his image. And so all of these chapters are pretty tough to read. There's blessings that go for like 14 verses and curses that go for 52 verses. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to read until you realize, what do we lose when we live life without God? What does life look like when we live on our own? And so Moses is giving those two pictures, life with God and without God. Let's take a look at this. We'll pick it up. He's a prophet here. He's showing them a picture of what will happen in their future. Look at verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30. It says this. See, Moses says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life 
and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Okay, so here he's basically giving them a picture of the choice they have once they enter this land. And it's no different today. This is a choice we make every day. The choice before us is either life with God or life without God. When we choose to live with God, we, we live in his life rather, rather than the death of our flesh, right? We live for his goodness over the evil around us and in us. We live for the kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of earth, and we live in his blessing over his curse. And, and when we look at this, this is a choice that we make. You may not wake up and say, okay, God, today I plan to live with you. It might be good to say that, though. Because sometimes unintentionally and being unaware, we will go through life where we get to the end of the day and we ask, where was God in my life? Every day is a decision to live life with or without God. And Moses is telling them, choose life. Choose life. Look what he says. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life. And length of days. I mean, this is the whole perspective that we're called into. Now, I am someone who chooses life. Uh, I, I am a proponent of life in the womb and out of the womb. I am someone who stands for life in, in, in all areas. Everyone who is crafted and created in the image of God has significance and value. But this ultimately is a personal decision here. This is, do I choose life for me to live with God at the center and God as my life or to live with myself on the throne of my life? And look what it says. When you choose life, what are you doing? Look at verse 20. He says three things. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. Those are all verbs and they're all movement. In other words, continue doing this. They're not just a one and done kind of thing. Continue through your day as you choose to have life with God. You will be loving him, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Let's look at each one of these. What does it look like to love, to be a person who is loving the Lord? And we're, we talked about this last week, and so if you want a longer message on that, this, this concept of what does it look to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might or your strength is really everything about you, everything that you are, everything that you have is an expression to love God. And I found that if I'm not loving God, I tend to love the things around me. And you can choose each day with the next gadget, the next thing that comes into our lives, to either live for that or to love God with that and live for him. And so that's the picture he's calling them into. He's not a little compartment that you go, good, Sunday morning, went to church, check, I am ready. <laughs> uh, although I love it when we gather together. And I love being a part of a community of believers, the family of God who who gather together and orient their lives and recalibrate their lives around the word of God. It's more than just a moment, right? This is a movement of God through our lives that we would be people who would love him with all of ours, with all that we have. But then it here, here it says, obeying his voice. What does this look like? When we obey the voice of God, I mean, there are so many different voices around us 
And there are voices that are targeting us. And as we look at this, uh, we don't have to go far. We just need to pick up a screen, right? There's a lot of voices always marketing the next little thing to get. And since you bought this, here's another thing for you to buy. Or uh, to show you, I mean, we live in a very digitally connected world. You can just spend hours looking at all the current events that are right there on a screen. And I've noticed even when my family's together in the same room, we have multiple screens going. On. And then there's the other screen in our lives. How many hours do we spend listening to the agenda of different media that's thrown at us? Whether through a, you know, just a, a uh, episodes of a, you know, popular Netflix series or whatever else, we are, we are just kind of mesmerized by the different things, the voices that are thrown to us. But then there's even the voices within us. Maybe something a parent said that you were, that you've been struggling well into your adulthood to try to get over some of those harsh words that they said. Maybe someone called you a name in middle school. I've talked to full-grown adults who haven't gotten over what some of their bullies in middle school said about them, and they're still trying to get over the voices that they heard. And here, Moses is calling us to develop ears and and uh, hearts that obey the voice of the Lord that get into his word and listen to him just between these past two services I got a little notification on my on my watch and it told me how many hours I spent a day on screens and I was embarrassed yet again yet again we just spend so much time with other voices talking to us And therefore, it's important for us to clear away all those other distractions and get before the word of God. You know, whether it's our daily devotion that we have where we're going through 365 key chapters of the Bible this year and those books are available out in the atrium for you to get before the word of God on a daily basis. Or maybe there's another thing that you do, but anything that you can do in your daily routine to get before the voice of God in his word and to listen to it and to obey it. Not to just, like James says, listen to it and so deceive yourselves that you got it down, but that you would do it and that you would reflect it and be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So this week, as I was preparing for this message, I was just thinking, what would it look like, Joe, if you, I was talking to myself, obviously, (laughs) um, if you, when the next time you sense a prodding of the Lord or a prodding of the Holy Spirit that you know is good and right and excellent and true and consistent with the word, you know, I didn't want to just go, God told me to do this, because if I'm disconnected from his word, I mean, some crazy things have happened, and that we did whatever we want to, and we just said to God, you know, we put his name on it, rather than following him. But I decided I was going to follow the leading of the Lord the next time God showed me something to act or to speak or to to take some time to obey him. And so I no sooner put down my Bible, I got up and I looked, I went in the kitchen and there was a sink full of dishes. And I heard a voice say, clean those dishes. And inside of me, I was like, come on, Cheryl. Come on. But I just heard instead of me being more sexist, just saying, you should do that. So I started cleaning the dishes. And then, 
And then I opened up the dishwasher, and it was full of clean dishes. And I said, come on, Cheryl. And I heard again, put those away. So I put them away. Now, I know this sounds really stupid that a pastor is telling you about these two little things he did. But all I'm telling you is we have to get um, endurance in us to obey the voice of God in our lives in the small things for there ever to be the endurance and the depth of faith to trust him in the larger things. And so I just think about the potential. If we're listening to the voice of God, if we're spending time in his word and we're acting in accordance to his word, the things that he tells us to do, we need to be responsive on that. The mark of a mature believer is really uh, the shortness of time it takes to listen to the voice of God and obey it. There should be no delay. There should be no quarreling. There should be no division. We should be people that are willing to listen to the voice of the Lord and follow him. Because ultimately, as the children of Israel were going into this land, they, God had a path for them. It was called the law, and they were called to obey it. And they, they looked at all these major challenges ahead of them, and he was calling them, love the Lord your God. And out of that love, move, it moves them to di- be disciplined to obey the voice of God. And then the other thing they asked him is he said to hold fast to him. That when you choose life, you are holding fast to God. Now, there is a Dutch term, and it says this. This is what it says. Hout vast. Can you say that with me? Good. Not bad for 11 o'clock. Okay. Hout vast literally means hold fast. And it was tattooed on Dutch sailors, and the captain in a storm would yell out, Hout vast. And it would mean hold fast. Hold fast to, to the riggings. Hold fast to the next task that's doing. Stay committed in the midst when everything is coming unglued around you. Stay focused on what you're supposed to do. If you have a, a child who's in track or a child who's in swimming and they're swimming the long distance, just yell out, hold fast! And only they will know it. You will look like a freak, but they will know it. I said that in the first service today, and I saw a teen I saw a teen look at their parent and go, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. And even more than us when life is coming unglued to hold fast to the Lord, I think the image is more like this. Uh, the hand of a loving father with their child, that that child would hold on to that hand. So, Have you ever tried to hold the hand of a two-year-old? It's crazy. I mean, when when they're afraid, they're hanging on to you, and sometimes they're even hanging on to your leg, and so you're dragging them along. But when they see something, when they're distracted, they want to pry that hand away from you, and you just hold on a little bit more. And when they want to find something, sometimes their whole body will drag, you know, with you as they're wanting to get somewhere else. I know which ones of you are raising kids right now. You're laughing the most because you know this. And and that's exactly the, the... the, the image that Moses was giving them, look, you're going to go into this land and there are 
There are houses that you didn't build that you'll live in. And there's cisterns that you won't have to dig. Other people have dug those. You'll drink from those. And there's vineyards and there's olive orchards. And you will eat from those things that you didn't plant. But be careful when you go and you look around and you see the gods that they're worshiping. They have designer gods. They have gods that just are appeal to your greatest needs. And some of you who aren't, who aren't having children, they have gods you can worship for fertility and they'll help you have kids. I mean, all this marketing of other gods around them. And they said, hold fast. Hold fast to the hand of God. So to choose life, Life with God in your life every day is a commitment to love him with your heart and with your soul and with your might. It's a commitment to obey his voice. It's a commitment to hold fast, hold fast, the hand of God when you're distracted as well as when things around you are coming unglued. And so this is what Moses shared with them. And then he told them, okay, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to go into that land and you're going to see the gods. And I've known you. I've been leading you for 40 years. The more I lead this church, the more I see our vulnerabilities to sin. The more I live in this world, I know the distractions. I know the temptations of the human spirit and the human desire apart from Christ that we go after. I mean, stories every week of what's happening. And so I know that we are going to be here just like Moses. We're going to be here. We're going to gather around God's word. We're going to see that the call is to love him, to obey his voice, and to hold fast to him. And I know the week you're going to have, and there's going to be times when you don't love him. When you're not listening to his voice, you're listening to a different voice, either within or around you. And instead of holding fast to him, you're going to chase the next thing. I just know that. And it's not that I don't love you. It's just that this happens. This happens. And it would happen to Israel. He knew in their future as in our future, we will fail. Look at how he addresses it here. Look at verse 17. But if your heart turns away, And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess it. Sure enough, hundreds of years later, they would pursue other gods. And God would send in the Assyrian uh, commander, Sennacherib. And he would come in around 722 or 721 BC. And he would destroy the top, the 10 of the 12 tribes. He would take them and he would scatter them around the world. And then in 586 BC, Babylon, under the leader Nebuchadnezzar, would come in. And he would take the final two, but he would keep them as a unit. They would be the remnant of which 70 years later, they would be brought back into the land. But look what it says here on their failure. It says, when these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have said before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and you obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. You see, we will fail, but God is faithful. 
It's a really important thing to know if you're choosing to live with God as the center, as the life of yours. Now, there's three things we do when we fail, and I only know them because I've lived all three. (laughs) But the first thing we can do when we fail is we can shrink into shame and guilt, and we can go, oh my goodness, how can I be a Christian and just do that? How can I say I'm a child of God and just say that? How can I be a pastor in the church and think that? I mean, we think and do and say things that are counter to the people of God. What do we do? We can shrink into you're nothing, there's no hope for you, pull away, isolate, and we could be tempted to do that. The second thing we can do is we could cover, right? This is a really popular thing. Who is God to tell me what to do, right? Or God doesn't know. I mean, if he would have worked in the timing that I wanted him to, I wouldn't have had to do that. And we point, we blame, and we shift responsibility, and we cover ourselves and basically try to promote a a soundbite that goes like this. The normal, regular person under these circumstances would do what I would do. It's very rational. It's very reasonable. And then there's the third thing that we should do, and, or we can do, and that is to call it, to confess it, to turn from it, repent from it. See, the mark of a mature believer is not that they're perfect, because none of us can be perfect. The mark of a mature believer is what do we do when we fail? Do I move and shift and shrink into shame and guilt? Or do I use that guilt to just as much as it makes, as much as I want to run away, I run back to. And I call it, and I turn from it, and I receive the faithful grace of God in my life through his forgiveness of my sins. Instead of blaming someone else, shifting the blame. And you know that. I mean, sometimes you can be so difficult to live with when it's never your fault and there's always an excuse. Book of Proverbs says that's foolish. You'd rather change the truth than change yourself. You know how hard it is to argue, to be reasonable with a fool who won't call it the way it is? You live in the hurt. You live in the pain. But when you confess it, what do you receive, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, we're going to fail this week, but when you fail, run back and hold on to the hand of God. Fall on grace and do that quickly. Don't let there be a time where you beat yourself up and isolate from God, or don't let there be a time where you think you can make, after a few days of good living, it better for you to come back in, and God says, well, after those three days, you weren't that bad, so now you're back in. Don't let that fool you. Don't let that voice inside you, that lie, take root in you that will get in between you and the grace of God that's needed. You will fail, but God is faithful. Remember that. Run back to him. Because God is that with us, we need to be that with others. With, with our marriages, with our children, with our friends, with our family, when someone confesses that they were wrong in your life, don't make them pay for it. 
Don't go, well, I don't know if I believe you. You better be good for goodness sakes and I'm going to be watching you and if you really perform up to the level, none of that is how God treats us with that. And so as we have received the faithfulness of God through the grace of Jesus, we need to give that just as we receive that. Don't let there be time in between a failure and a confession. Then it says this, look at verse four, how it's reinforced. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will take you and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed that you may possess it and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and you may live. When I was uh, a young kid, and I'm the youngest of four, and so I had two, two sisters and a brother and my parents, we would have family devotions around the dinner table. And my dad would be reading um, the Old Testament from time to time, and this word circumcision would come up, and I was the youngest. I just thought, what is that word? And so at a young age, put up my hand. And my sisters kind of looked down. My mom started to sweat. My brother started smiling as he looked at my dad, and what is dad going to say? My dad would read the Bible like this, and he'd look up from it, and he goes, put it down. Put down your hand. And then he just continue reading, Okay. But when, when it was just me and my dad, he actually, to, actually told me what circumcision is. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? That's going to happen there? It's messy. It's bloody. Couldn't God have thought of a tattoo or something like that? It is gross. And it's messy and it's bloody. But it was a greater picture of what God would do. He would cut away sin from their lives. It would be messy. But he would also consecrate them to be his people, his beloved. And that was the picture. See, in the Old Testament times, they would always act out. Whenever there was a sacrifice, they would act out the curse of of whatever promise was made or whatever commitment was made or covenant that was made, they would work out the curse of that covenant. In other words, the non-performance of it. Like when God made his promise to Abraham, he asked Abraham to take an animal and, and literally cut it into pieces and, and God walked through those pieces of the animal. Again, messy and gross. But what, God, what is God showing us? He's, God is making that commitment, and he said to Abraham, as he's old and doesn't have a son, he said, Abraham, if I don't perform this, this promise, if, I don't, if I'm not faithful, may this happen to me. God was willing to stake his, his, that promise and saying, it will happen. It will happen. But he took the curse he would take the curse of the non-compliance. Now, we, we sign it, right? We, we put our names and then we have the date. And if you've ever closed down a home more recently, you know how many times you have to sign your name and date that, okay? They actually show this is what can happen to me if I don't do this. And I think we'd have a lot more people paying their bills if that was more the... Don't quote me, though, okay? It's just what they did. It's just what they did. But Paul would say this about what Christ did for us. 
He's saying Colossians 2.11, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See, our noncompliance, our lack of performance, our lack of measuring up, Christ became the curse for that. He lived a perfect life, one life we couldn't. He died on the cross and shed his blood because he took the curse for our sin, for our lack of perfection, so that in him, sin could be cut away from our lives and our lives could be consecrated, made holy, righteous before God because of the work of Christ. His love endures forever. Israel would long for, they would look forward to a time when obedience to the law was fulfilled in one person who obeyed it in full, full fashion, without compromise, without sinning. And Jesus did that for us. Jeremiah and Ezekiel later on in the Old Testament will share how God will do this. He would circumcise our hearts, cut away the sin, consecrate us for him. And so when your heart is circumcised by Christ, there's a change that happens. You move from the word of God being a threat to your existence and a threat to your identity and lots of rules and regulations and you see it as a loving heavenly father holding on to the hand of his child amidst of a broken and sinful, twisted and crooked generation whom God says, hold on to my hand. And we start to realize that the ought to of the law and the ought to of obedience of Christ becomes something that we actually want to. It's not an obligation as much as it's an opportunity to, to love and grow in your walk with Christ. God is faithful. And look what else it says here. His love endures forever. Look at what he's going to say about the law that was given to them. He says in verse 11 of chapter 30, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. So you can do it. He was calling them saying, look, you don't have to look far. You don't have to grope and grapple with all the things of this world. Here's the word of the Lord. Obey his voice. Hold fast to him. Love him. Paul would take this very passage as he was talking about this righteousness that comes from God in Christ to our lives, that it's no longer out there. We don't have to search the world over. It's been found in Christ coming to us. In Romans 10, he says this, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And he quotes literally this passage in in Deuteronomy 30. He says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. See what he's saying? He's saying, you, you don't have to measure up with your performance that it would rise to heaven and satisfy the God who is over you. 
And you don't have to keep Christ away from your life. The glory and the beauty of the gospel is that Christ came near. He came to us as the law came to the children of, the, of Israel. And it was with them. And Christ is with us. He's lived the life we couldn't live. He's died the death that we, even in our own death, couldn't pay for our sin. And he rose again on the third day. So confess him. Believe him. Receive eternal life. Receive the forgiveness of sins. Receive the salvation that's been found in Christ. Because the love of God endures forever. It endures through our failure. It endures through all the lies that are thrown to us that we say, uh, the voices that we listen to inside and around us. And it chooses to love us. Even though we lack the performance, Christ fully performed And he was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, taking on our curse so that we could have the blessing of God in Christ. Choose life, therefore. Fellowship Bible Church, choose life, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. Would you stand with me as we close? And I want to pray over you as we dismiss. Let's pray. Father, it is good to be in a place where followers after you, seekers of you, can lean into your word and try to figure out what you're saying to us. And I thank you for your word today. And I thank you for the invitation to choose you each day, that you would be our life. May you work in our hearts so that we would choose you each day, that we would love you, that we would obey your voice, that we would listen to your voice. And follow you in the small things as well as the great things that you put in front of us. And may we hold fast to you amidst the distraction. When things are coming uh, unhinged around us, may we hold onto your hand. And we thank you, Jesus, that when we fail, we fall on you. Help us to, to navigate through the shame and guilt. To navigate through the pride and foolishness of covering so that we might confess it and receive forgiveness and live a life of love where you are our life to make you greater. It's in the name of Jesus and for his glory that we live, we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.